What's up, you guys? Sarah Beth and Aaron here. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited that you guys are listening to this month's podcast. Aaron and I preached together for this message, and we talked about how to fight the good fight of faith. That's right. We talk about practical things like dating, uh, the prophetic, um, sharing the gospel, we and talk money. About money, just different things from a practical level on what it looks like to fight the good fight of faith. Yeah, hope you enjoy. Love you guys. Well, what's up? Hi. <laughs> Hey, we, we've, never, we've never done this. We've never shared together no. like this. <laughs> so you're going to have to give us grace tonight. Yes, please. Lots Especially Sarah Beth. She was just, I'm going to expose you. She just now was like, I don't know what to do with my hands when you're talking. So we can all just be awkward together. We don't really want to preach at you tonight. We, we want to more so have a conversation. Uh, we have some things we want to we talk about, but we want it to be fun, yeah. full of life. Yeah. We want to like leave you guys with... Uh, what I'm thinking in my head is like a fighting word, which sounds funny, but what I mean by that is you have to have tools to fight with in this life, right? <laughs> you have to have tools. And so that's, that's our heart behind this message is to give you tools to fight with when things fly your way. Yeah, it's true. We don't often talk about the fight of faith, like we, like just now, we're singing about Abba, I belong to you. It's beautiful. It's true. It's a truth. But there's another truth. You belong to Abba. You belong to your Father. It is finished, and you can rest in that. But there's another truth, and it's that faith is a fight. There's a fight to faith, and and often in streams like our stream, we don't talk about that. But but fight is a fa- it, but faith is a fight, and. And, and if you don't know that, then any little thing can take you out or any little thing you're like, oh my gosh, I need to go get inner healing or any little thing you think like, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart. But faith is a fight. You want to talk about our week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to get vulnerable. Um, yeah, we were preparing for this week and doing that these days looks a lot different than it used to. Um, most of it looks like changing diapers and um, tending to screaming kids. I'll, I'll tell you, today, I mean, they're amazing kids, but they cry sometimes. All kids do. Okay, so we have Rosie, who's two and a half almost, which I can't believe I'm saying that, and Shepard is almost eight months. And today, I was like trying to get ready, trying to come here. Aaron got a haircut right before, so I came later with the kids, and I was, <laughs> I was trying to like blow dry my hair and get dressed, and Rosie's like, Mommy! I want to poo-poo on the potty, which we've been trying to do for like a year. I think I was pregnant with Shepard the first time. I was like, do you want to try to go on the potty? And it's been like, no, for an entire year. So today, She told me one day, I came home days, and she was like, daddy, I want big girl panties. So I took her to Target yeah. and we but picked But she, she was like 18 and... months old. She's, I don't know. She talked really early. And, and it did not go the way at all. It was like a know. trick. She's like, I want to go to Target and get big girl panties. And then she didn't wear them for a year. So we're still working on it. Anyway, today of all days, when we're talking about fighting the good fight of faith, she's like, I'm going to go poop on the body. I was like, okay. So Shepard is, to my knowledge, not really crawling yet. So I leave him in the um, nursery and I go to the bathroom with Rosie and, you know, she sits down and she's like, I want a diaper. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm tending to her and I hear a drink like spill in the other room. And I was like, was that the dog? Like, he doesn't move. I go back in and he has scooted for the first time in his entire life all the way across the room and spilled the drink. 
Sarah Beth texts me and she's like, well, Shepard's I'm like, I'm probably now. not going to be there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it just felt like, you know, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. But even in, in, in those moments and then in moments in your life, we got to have tools to fight with or the enemy will literally take us out with something so small as the story I just told you. Like, yeah. and we felt that really all week. We were talking about, you know, what God wanted to do tonight and yeah. We tried so hard yesterday, all day long, to connect around this weekend and talk and about what Sabbath. we wanted to, sh- to, to share, to Sabbath. Every time we finally got alone in a room and we were like, okay, kids are taking a nap, dogs outside, like we have a moment to connect and to talk and all of a sudden we hear the door open. Like, I don't know how that sound effect was, but that was my attempt at the door opening. And here comes, here comes Rosie and we're like, pretend like you're asleep. Yeah. So we just... And we're thinking, like, maybe she'll go back to her room and go back to quiet time. And so we're laying there, we're pretending like she's asleep, and she, she crawls up on my lap, and we're literally, like, just kind of on top of each other, like, pretending we're asleep. And all of a sudden, all I can smell is Cheeto breath. And I'm like, she's been eating And you Cheetos. hear, <sighs> yeah, she's like, <sighs> we're like, oh, my gosh. And so, you know, I'm, like, acting like I'm asleep. I'm like, oh, Rosie, go back to quiet time. And she's like, I don't want to sleep, Daddy. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, then all of a sudden we're mad at each other and we're fighting and we're like, no, faith is a fight. And I want to read this first to you. Uh, if we titled this anything, we were going to title this tonight that there's a fight in you. There's a fight in you. And we felt like we wanted to leave you with this. We wanted to tell you this, that there's a fight in you. And in Paul's final address to Timothy, actually in my Bible, it's, it's, it's titled Paul's Final Charge, which I felt like was fitting for a night like tonight. But it says this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. It says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. He's just talking about the things of the world to flee. And he says, and fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless unto our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest at his own time. He who is blessed and only... You're the scholar. I have no idea how to say that. He who is blessed and the fragrant King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in his unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor, everlasting power. Amen. He's saying, fight the good fight of faith. He's saying, if I can leave you with anything, I want to leave you with this. Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, you have to know if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to live by faith, like those knuckles got to come up. Those fists got to come up. Why? Because faith is a fight. And it's not something we oftentimes talk about, especially in charismatic communities. We talk more about grace and rest, brother. But there is a fight to faith. And, and I want to read to you 1 Peter 5, 8. Why is there a fight of faith? Uh, because 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this. Can you throw that up there? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary. Everybody say your adversary. Come on, say it, say it with your chest. Your adversary. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you, you have an adversary. You have an adversary. I don't know if you know this, but you have an adversary. And, and your adversary, if you're married in the room like, like we are, is not your spouse. It's not your boss. Uh, it's not your sibling. It's not your bank account. 
It's not fill in the line of whatever you think your adversary could be, but your adversary, the devil. Like, can we talk about the devil for a minute? I know, like, it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about Jesus. We love Jesus, and we do love Jesus. We just worshiped him for I don't know how long. But let's just take a moment, and let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that it's that the devil has a desire, and it's to kill, steal, and destroy everything in your life. Everything in your life. His desire is to kill you, to destroy you, to take you out. We, we've been walking with someone in our community who's been fighting for their life. has been fighting to keep their limbs. If you've been coming to prayer, we've been praying for this person. And, and you could ask the question, how did this happen? Well, I can tell you how this happened. Her adversary, the devil, desires to kill, steal, and destroy. And will take any moment, if you don't know that faith is a fight, to come against you. To, it's where you have spiritual warfare. It's where you have all of these different things. But he is roaming around looking for who he may devour. I quoted it, but it's John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have eternal life. And, and I would propose to you that there is life for you in every situation that you bring underneath faith. Every situation, every circumstance you're walking through, there's life for you in it if you bring it underneath faith. I don't know if you have anything you want to jump in, but feel free at any moment. Um, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how the devil has desired. If you look at your life right now and you look at anything you're walking through, then, then let me tell you, the devil wants to use that thing to take you out, yeah. utterly take you out. His, his desire is for you to fall away from the faith. His desire is to turn you against your family. His desire is to bankrupt your life. His desire is to get you uh, caught in the lies of depression, anxiety. He is after you. But we want to talk about this because we want you to take heart knowing that in every situation you can approach it by faith. Now, I wanted to take a moment and I wanted to talk about spiritual warfare uh, because you have like two extremes. You either have the person who's like, spiritual warfare is not a thing, brother. Like, whatever. And then you have the person that's like, everything's spiritual warfare. It's raining outside, spiritual warfare. The devil's on the prowl. The devil's coming. And this week we had, we had a flat tire. And uh, we, we had still a, have a we flat, still have flat tire. tire. Well, we put air in it. So then it wasn't right. flat. But it's then it's slowly fixed. getting flat. And you went to discount tire. And they were like, oh, our line hasn't moved. Our line moved. is and two and a half hours. I was like, yeah. So no. we're like, we'll just put air in it. And, you know, we'll get it fixed. But here's the thing. Our tire, I saw it when we put air in it last night. I saw the nail that was in there that we need to get removed. We need to get our tire fixed. Um, our, our tire running out of air is not spiritual warfare. Our tire is running out of air because there's a nail in the tire. Are you following me? But sometimes we can over-spiritualize everything and we could go, it's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And I want to tell you, not everything is spiritual warfare, but everything can be approached in faith. That's the difference. So with our tire running out, we actually were late to swim lessons. We get in the car and we're like, oh my gosh, we got to go. And then we look and we basically have a flat. We're like, we have to go straight to the gas station and get gas or get uh, air in our tire. Sorry. Um, but that moment we could feel the anxiety. We could feel the pull and the temptation for a hurry for just being bent out of shape because you're in a rush. You know, I just feel like over our city, sometimes there's a principality of rush, like rush, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. And we've been like, full force trying to break that thing in our family over the last couple months. And, and we felt that temptation. So in that moment, knowing, okay, we have a flat tire because we hit a nail, uh, but, but now we need to approach this by faith. Meaning we need to take a moment and remember that the devil would love nothing more than to use this flat tower to separate us in our marriage. 
would love nothing more than for us to look at each other and go, you didn't put that, you didn't get that fit. Why didn't you wait the hour and a half, two hours, whatever? You see what I'm saying? All of a sudden we're turned against each other because we're in the midst of rush. No, instead we have to approach it by faith and we have to go, let's take a deep breath. If we're late to swim lessons, that's okay. There's grace for us in the moment. Come on. God probably has something for us in this. And then all of a sudden we approach something by faith where the enemy would love to come around, undermine us, separate us from the littlest thing. Are you following me? Yeah, I, um, we're preaching to ourselves because uh, we, I feel like we've really been tested this week and we have encountered God in the midst of it and we've um, learned a lot, but we also haven't been perfectly unified through every little thing. So for example, yesterday when the tire was flat, I don't think that really like set us against each other, but rush will hurry. Oh my goodness. If you're a spouse or (laughs) a mother or just a human being in this room, (laughs) which we all are, you know that when you're in a rush or a hurry, you're usually your worst self. Like, I mean, Rosie like knows she has it. Like she knows when I'm in a rush and she's just like, I'm going to make her so mad just because I know we're in a rush and I don't want to be in a rush. I think that's like literally what she's thinking. Cause I'll be like, I need we to do your hair. We got to go. And she's, like, she's yeah. taking them off. Yeah. You're like, Ugh. yeah. But my, my point to that was when, when you look at a situation and approach it in faith, um, like we did with the tire yesterday, it immediately brought unity between us and we were a little bit late to swim lessons, but that isn't as important to me as being unified with my husband, as being, you know, kind to my children. And so in the midst of things being thrown at us and, you know, like the devil roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, in the midst of that, I think what we need to grab hold of is that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities. You know that scripture, right? And so I think for me in those moments, what I have to do, what I want to do is like totally shut down and um, just, yeah, shut down and not, not use my voice, not be like, okay, because what helps me in moments like that, I'll give an example of like when I'm insecure about the way I look. For a long time, I would just keep it internal and Aaron be like, you look beautiful. I'm like, Thanks, you know, but then the Lord was like, use your voice. Like, like, come on, you got to fight in you. You know, you have, he's given us a voice to, to say things back to him. And then there's power in that. So in these situations, whether it's body image insecurity or a flat tire, it's like something that helps me is using my voice. So what does that look like? That looks like if I'm feeling insecure that day, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to say, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at my heart. And then I turn it to, God, you don't look at my outward appearance. And I don't understand that because I look at my outward appearance. But you look at my heart, right? And then in a situation like that, grab hands if you're with someone and pray. But I think just not backing down and standing up and fighting the good fight like Paul tells Timothy. Um, And a big part of that is using the voice that he gave us. Because I think what the enemy wants to do is shut down our voices and silence us. Especially women. Woo! Women, I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you because that's one of the biggest things I feel like the enemy steals from us is our voice. So we're gonna pray for you at the end if you feel that way. Um, But yeah. Um, I wanna tell you a dream that I had this week. Um, I had a dream that we were at the end of your conference and we left one of the sessions of the end of your conference and we are walking from the venue to our hotel. And as we were leaving and transitioning from one building to another, um, we noticed that there was a long tunnel that led to a, um, 
a boxing ring. And we walked through the tunnel and there was a handful of us, Sir Beth and I were there, a handful of our worship team, a handful of our staff. And we go to the boxing ring. And when we get on the middle of the boxing ring, um, we're standing in the boxing ring and we're all just kind of standing around, looking at each other, talking like, oh, this is an awesome boxing ring. And we notice that in the center of us is Princess Diana. Now, Princess Diana in the dream is extremely young. And, and in the dream, she's just boxing away. You know, boxing away. And our staff surrounds her and, and, and we start telling her, have courage, have courage. And as we start telling her, have courage, she, she stops boxing the air and she gets down on her knees and she starts getting delivered in the dream. And, um, and then I woke up from the dream and this week I've just been praying into it and thinking about it. And, and you know, there's a verse, I wanna read it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do we have that? Do we have that in the Passion Translation? It talks about not aimlessly uh, um, actually, can you put it in the New King James first? And then maybe we'll go to the Passion after that. So it says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, uh, but we for an imperishable crown. Keep going. Therefore run like this, not as the uncertainty that I fight, not as one who beats the air. Stay there. Go back. Uh, This is how I fight, not as one who beats the air. So remember in the dream, she's just fighting, basically nothing. Go to verse 27 now. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, I wanna talk about this for a minute because when you don't know your fight is not against flesh and blood, but you're fighting, you're like Princess Diana in the dream and you just are boxing away at nothing. You're fighting nothing. Why Princess Diana? Because I think Princess Diana, if you know anything about her life, she died young. She died as a young adult. If she, like, she was super young, but the pressures of the world weighed on her. And, and when I woke up from the dream, I was thinking about how oftentimes we meet with young people and the pressures of the world are so weighing on them and sometimes they just don't know how to fight by faith and they're aimlessly boxing the air. But, but scripture says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Now we don't like verses like this oftentimes because it takes us away from the hyper grace message, but there's a reality to learning to bring your body, I like to say it like this, bringing your spirit above your flesh, taking your flesh and putting it back in its rightful place underneath your spirit. Because when I'm in my flesh, man, I'm boxing the air, but oftentimes the opponent I think I'm fighting is Sarah Beth because she's the closest to me. But when I can remember, no, 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 no. No, I bring my body under submission. What does that mean like? I bring my mind under submission. The thoughts that I'm having about Sarah Beth that I actually know aren't true, but they feel so real. I bring those thoughts back underneath my spirit. I bring those thoughts back underneath the cross. I bring those thoughts back under the gospel. And then all of a sudden I realize, oh, you're not my enemy. You're my closest friend. Does that make sense? And you could do the same thing with, with the feeling of anxiety. You can do the same thing. You bring those things underneath your spirit. And when you, the more you do that, the more you learn uh, uh, how to approach life by faith. How to not just aimlessly box the air, but instead to have courage. And in the dream, we started shouting, have courage, have courage, have courage. And we wanted to declare over you tonight to have courage. And whatever you're facing, to have courage. Oh, it's a simple word, but without courage, you can't live by faith. 
Did you know that? That it actually takes faith to, to, it actually takes courage to live by faith, but it takes faith to stand in courage. Oh, come on. You guys are missing this. Whatever you're walking through tonight, you need courage or you will not approach it by faith. And there's three specific places we wanted to tell you to have courage that I felt so strongly in, in, in my heart. Um, and the first one is in seasons. Did you want to jump in? Go ahead. The first one is in seasons to have courage in seasons In Joshua one, nine, the Lord comes to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous. He actually says it three times. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why? Because Joshua was transitioning out of, if you know anything about the Bible, the Bible actually calls him uh, a young adult. It says Joshua at a young age was learning underneath Moses. Joshua as a young man. So it actually classifies him as a young adult. But yet here in Joshua 1, he's transitioning out of just being a young adult into leading the people into what God has called him to lead the people to. And I think your 20s, I think Joshua 1 is a beautiful picture of your 20s. To be honest, we are both 29. We'll both be 30 this year. Well, I guess we'll be 30 early next year. Next year. (laughs) Um, But if I can look back at my 20s, I would say my 20s have been marked with one thing, and it's having courage. It's having courage to stand before the Lord. It's having courage to approach things by faith. It's having courage to, to bring my flesh underneath my spirit. But to have courage. You need courage in seasons. You need courage for seasons. Let me tell you what type of seasons. Seasons of transition. Uh, when you're transitioning through things, sometimes transitions take a long time. And it takes courage to approach that transition by faith. Mm-hmm. It takes courage. Um, I think of long-standing trials. There are, there's the day of trouble that comes oftentimes, but sometimes there's seasons of trials. We just walked through a season of trial um, in October. Sarah Beth lost her job, and the Lord has had us in a, what, seven, eight-month period? Almost eight months. Eight-month period of, of a season. There may be a better word to, to classify that, but a, a trial that's lasted for a season, and it's living by faith. We've watched the Lord supernaturally pay our house bill for eight months in a row to the point now where we have people coming, and they're like, well, what is, what's your need? How can we help you? And it's like, well, you really can't because the Lord is teaching us something. When you look at eight months of the Lord supernaturally providing for you, you got to go, whoa, 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 the Lord is teaching me something. But to really submit yourself as a student underneath that lesson, it takes courage. You have to have courage and you have to realize, okay, I'm not aimlessly fighting the air. Um, and then again, I said this, but, but in your 20s. So you need courage in seasons. The next one is you need courage in moments. You need courage in moments. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, it's when David comes onto the, the scene before Goliath. And Goliath has just been, been slandering the nation of Israel. And, and the Bible says that they're, 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 the entire army of Israel was in fear. So they did not have courage. So because of fear, no one was able to apprehend the moment of breakthrough that the Lord actually had for the nation. The Lord was going to liberate the nation in a moment, but nobody had courage to stand up to Goliath until David comes onto the scene. He comes onto the scene and it says this in 1 Samuel 17, 45. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 45, do you have it? Oh, awesome. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Keep going. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. It's powerful. And this day I will give 
the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So having courage for David was unto all of Israel knowing that all the earth uh, knowing that there was a God in Israel. Are you following me? But it took him having courage in a moment. What, is, what are moments that we, we face and walk through? Well, the day of trouble. That's different than just a, a season where God is teaching you something. The day of trouble is when there's a loss in your family. The day of trouble is when you walk through, through maybe persecution. The day of trouble is when something comes that you did not expect, and now all of a sudden, it's only faith that will take you through it. I'll never forget when my mom found a lump in her body, and she had to go in, and she asked me, my sister, our whole family to come with her to the hospital because she was going to have her biopsy and this procedure done, and, and the day of trouble had met, met our family. But I'll never forget sitting in the parking lot of the hospital, and before we went into the hospital, as a family, we grabbed hands, and I remember the this phrase came forth from our family. This is why we have faith. This is why we have faith for the day of trouble, for in moments to stand by faith in courage, knowing there's a fight in you. There's a fight in you to approach this thing with faith. That could be standing up to injustices. That could be preaching the gospel in public, giving prophetic words to people. Oftentimes you may hear, I, I'm convinced that majority of people who say, man, I wanna, I wanna prophesy, I wanna move more in the prophetic, you hear the voice of the Lord, you just need courage to act on it. It's in those moments where you hear something or you have that little, that little inkling and you go, was that God? No, it's probably not God. No, you just need courage. You need a little bit of courage to take a step of faith and know there's a fight in you. But courage is for seasons. Courage is for moments. And then lastly, courage is to shift cultures. Do you know it takes courage to shift cultures? In Daniel 3, and verse 13, it is the story of the three Hebrew boys who refuse to bow before the idols that the political leaders of the day have put forth. And if I think if there's any text that is uh, relevant to 2023, I think it's Daniel 3. I think that is the text that that most perfectly describes what we're walking through in our day and hour. We have political figures that are asking us to bow to ideologies, asking us to bow to new forms of thinking, asking us to call what's wrong right and what's right wrong. And it's what's happening in Daniel 3. Yet you have these three Hebrew boys who realize, no, I actually have a fight in me. I actually have faith in me to approach this thing by faith. And I will not bow down to the idols. And when they don't bow down to the the idols, what happens? It actually gets worse before it gets better. They take them to the fire. The king gets angry and he says, turn the fire up seven times hotter. Some of you are in that seven times hotter moment right now because you had courage and now you're like, my thing, this thing got worse for me. And I would tell you if you're in that thing and you were walking through a trial and you had a little bit of courage and then all of a sudden it got worse, then you're probably really close to the supernatural move of God breaking through in your life. Because what happens after the seven times hotter? They go into the fire, the guards die, but the men don't, all of a sudden, the king sees four men in there, not three. And then this is what it says in verse 29 of Daniel 3. It says that the king called them out and said, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for there is no other God that can save in this way, but the God of the Hebrews. There's reformation that hits a culture because somebody had courage. 
I think of what's happening right now with Target. If you have TikTok or social media, you know that what's happening right now with Target is crazy. It's the, it's the sexual identity conversation on full force against kids and our nation. Yet there's so many people that would rather say, ah, I don't want to have a voice in that because it's really uncomfortable and I'll just watch from the sidelines. But I would say if the people of God would have courage, we might just see a shift in our nation. It takes courage. You need courage in seasons. You need courage in moments. And you need courage to shift cultures. And there's three specific areas we felt in our hearts to to tell you to have courage. Um, I'm going to give them to you and then we're going to unpack them a little bit. But I really felt like tonight I was like, what, what, what areas do the young adults need courage? And, and the first one is dating. Can we talk about dating with you guys? Raise your hand if you're single. Come on, raise a high. All right, everybody look around. You know who's free game. You know who you can ask tonight. Raise your hand if you're married. Woo-woo. Oh, that is a good number of married. Sometimes we say that and the hands do not go up. Um, we want to talk about dating tonight for a moment because I really feel like if there's an area that I look at our young adult community and I think there is not courage in our community, in young adults, it's in dating. I'm going to be honest. Dating at the upper room has a bad rep. There's a bad rep of dating. Like I've started hearing people say that when they want to date, they want to go to other communities. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I don't know how many times there's been people on staff that are single that's like, Aaron, you need to get on the young adults about dating. You need to, and you hear it on both sides, right? You hear the girls mad at the guys. You hear the guys mad at the girls. And we wanted to take a moment and talk about dating and tell you there's a fight in you. Have courage. Come on, if you're single in the room, have courage when it comes to dating. So we're going to give you a couple practicals. Practicals. Is this okay tonight? I know this is a little different, but we wanted to have a talk, like I said. So come on. Uh, When you were saying have courage for dating, it made me think it's not just the guys that need courage. I'm not like a big advocate on a girl asking a guy out. That's not what I'm saying unless, you know, you have oversight and you're, you know, they like approve it or whatever. But um, what I mean by that is girls need, we need courage to be pursued. We need the Lord to heal our hearts of whatever's happened in the past, but then have courage to be pursued. And I'll never forget, I was driving down Sylvan Bridge, like, I don't know, by now it's like seven years ago. And, um, I had just gotten out of a relationship that I was in for a year and a half off and on in college. And I was like, man, I'm going to be 30 before I'm ready to be pursued. Like this is, you know, and so I guess I was, what time, what, what time, how old was I when we got married? 22, 23, 22 or three, 23, maybe. Anyway, so I'm like 22, let's just say at this point. And I'm like, man, it's going to be well into my thirties because my heart is so messed up. Right. I needed the Lord to heal my heart of past hurts in order to give me courage to be pursued. And what does that look like? Well, I think a lot of times, girls specifically here, because that's where I see it happen, it's like, if I don't know for sure that I'm gonna marry you, I'm not gonna date you. And the only reason I can talk to this is because I was that girl, okay? Have you guys ever heard of an inner vow? Okay, it's, I'll give you an example. I don't know exactly how to define it, but I'll give you an example. When I was... 12, my dad got me a purity ring. And it was like, it represented that I wasn't going to give myself to any man until 
I was married, which was amazing, right? So fast forward a few years, I'm 17, and I'm at a youth camp, and I um, go to my youth pastors, and I'm like, okay, I have this purity ring that my dad gave me, and I want to make um, a promise to God and to you guys, but really I was making an interval. I am never, don't ever say that, by the way, going to let a guy pursue me. I'm not going to ever hold his hand until the altar. It was all these things that I, my youth pastors were amazing, but I knew that they would be proud of me if I told them all of these things. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make a vow with you guys and with God that I'm never going to do this. But really it was, everything was just out of my own strength. Guess what happened the next day on the way back from youth camp? A guy, I don't know how he picked up on what the enemy was doing. (laughs) Bless him, God. But he came all the way to the front of the bus and sat by me, and the rest is history. And I mean, nothing crazy happened. It was literally like texting. We weren't supposed to be texting. We texted. We never even held hands, thank God. But it was in my heart. It was in my heart. Like the inner vow that I made was in my own strength. And then the devil's like, ooh, perfect opportunity, right? So how do you not make an inner vow? God help me. I can't do this in my own strength. I'm scared to be pursued. I can't. You're real because religion is stupid. Okay. And I get so mad at the spirit of religion that (laughs) is this okay. I'm starting to cry. That's cool. It like steals vulnerability. It steals your relationship with God. For so many years, I tried to get alone with God in the secret place. And one Easter Sunday, he said, why are you looking for me in the tomb of religion? I'm not there. I'm in my prayer room. I'm like, what? (laughs) Which is not bad to be in your prayer room, but that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but a good one. So, inner vows. Don't do it. How do you not do it by the grace of God? I mean, it's just like, but okay, Bring me back, Holy Spirit. Mm. What was the point we were on? Dating. Yeah. Okay. 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 Girls need courage to be pursued. Okay. Because in that moment, on that day, on that bus, the road of being pursued for me was like, I was this way. And then it was like, and then really that left or right U-turn, took me into college, lots of brokenness. I'm driving down Sylvan Bridge, there it was, and I, I was like, Lord, it's going to take years, right? And then literally, I think it was the next day or two, we started talking, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I will never forget, I was so like shut down to you at first, remember? He was like putting his heart on the line. He came and picked me up in that back parking lot to go to, I think I invited you to my birthday party, which was a big deal. Um, We went to an escape room. And so he picked me up in that back parking lot. We went to the escape room. We came back. And this is all going to tie into girls and guys having courage with dating. But we get back and he's like, puts the car in park super fast. Like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, you want to say something? Okay. And he's like, I need to tell you something. And I'm just like, oh no. Because that spirit of religion that I was just talking about was running rampant inside of me. It's taken me and still taking me a while to be unraveled from that thing. And there's freedom. Whoa, what was that? Freedom and deliverance and praise God. But I was shutting my heart down to Aaron with a spirit of religion that was like, 
I want to look right. I want to look pretty. I want to play hard to get because I don't really want you to know that I like you, which is manipulation. And at its core, that is witchcraft. I wouldn't be saying this unless I did it. I lived it, okay? So I'm sitting there and he's like, hey, I've been putting my heart out on the line to you and I don't really feel like you're giving anything back to me. And I don't really think I responded in that moment. No, you I did. Think I remember I you said. I called you later. You, no, you told me you said, I do like you. Oh, okay. And, so and I had, God gave me courage in that moment. But. Yeah, we had an authentic conversation. Yes. I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, yeah. but I remember we had an authentic conversation. But that same night, I went to put my pajamas on and I heard the Lord say, Sarah Beth, you can either be yourself or be someone that you're not in the name of playing hard to get. And I feel like I'm speaking to a few of you in the room right now, and that's okay if it's just a few. But Aaron was putting his heart out on the line, and I really didn't have courage to respond until I heard the Lord speak to me. Because my whole life I was told, like, you don't text guys first, you, you play hard to get. And it wasn't like I was taught anything bad. I think I just took that, and it was like wrapped in religion. And so then it was like, not great. But... In that moment, the Lord was like, you, can be your, you need to be yourself. You have permission to be yourself. And for me, my, being myself is sometimes initiating. That's, that's like who I am. I'm, for my, my whole life, I was kind of told, like, you're kind of a lot. Like, maybe marry an extra extrovert so that you can, like, tone it down a little bit, you know? But in that moment, the Lord was like, no, that's not how I made you. So I'm tying all of this back into I had to walk a journey of God giving me courage to be myself and to let him pursue me. And we're talking about this because I feel like, remember, your enemy, the devil, the adversary, the devil is roaming about looking who he may, who he may devour. Some of you, you may not be honest and, and you, you're like, if I said, raise your hand, if this is you, you probably wouldn't raise your hand. But dating is the, is the place where the enemy is having a field day with you. That's the place where he's running all over you. It's the place where he's devouring you. But remember, where the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus says, I've come to give life. And I actually believe there is an invitation for us as a community to enter into a culture where dating is giving a lot of life at the upper room, where a lot of people feel like there's no life in dating here. Are you following me? And here's, here's the first thing I want to tell you. If you're having a hard time with dating, specifically if you're a guy in the room and there's fear of telling that girl that you want to pursue her, you want to ask her out, or if there is a girl in the room and you have been asked out, but you have a hard time actually saying no, instead you just like run away or you say, yeah, let me think about it. And then you never get back to them. You know how that happens sometimes. Here's the first point. If you're taking notes, I hope you write this down. You have to know your worth. You have to know your worth. Both of you, if you don't know your worth, you'll never be able to ask a girl out. You have to know your worth. Otherwise, the first girl that rejects you, you run away and, and you're just broken on the inside and you have this fear of rejection and you're dominated by the fear of man. Well, the reality is, is you don't know your worth. You don't know you're a son. You don't know that you're actually seated in heavenly places. You have to know where you're seated before you can pursue. If you don't know how the, the identity the Lord has given you, you have no right actually pursuing a girl. You, you, don't, you, you should not be pursuing a girl if you don't know who you are in Christ. That's the reality. But then the flip side is you won't know how to, how to answer a man if you don't know your worth. Instead, you'll just run away. You just will say, well, no, I don't like that guy or I won't give him a chance. Or you have to know your worth being pursued. And let me tell you how that looks a lot of times for, for men. So I had my first kiss when I was in third grade. 
And from third grade on to I was 20, we got married when I was 23, so I think I was 19. And from third grade to 19, I had the longest I had gone without some sort of relationship, girlfriend, side chick type thing was, 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 about, was about maybe two weeks. So I just had a history of baggage with women. And when I was 19, the Lord told me, and, I, and, and even after I got saved, it got worse. Like I would bring girls home from school and, and, and it would just get really weird. And then I'd get in trouble and fall into sin and all these things. And so when I was 19, the Lord said, Aaron, I want to deal with the issue in your heart that you have towards women. And the Lord said, I do not want you to date until I tell you. And so it would be three years from the time that the Lord said that to me until the time I met Sarah Beth. And within that three years, it was the first time in my actual walk with Christ that he developed in me an identity, that he developed in me who, who he had called me to be, to know who I was in him. But it took me actually having a season where I said, I can't pursue a woman. I can't have a, a girlfriend that I'm texting all the time and super emotional with. I need to get my identity from the Lord. And in that season, the Lord showed me a picture of when I was eight. This really happened. Uh, when I was eight, my dad took me to summer camp. Come on, it always happens at summer camp. And at the summer camp, he took me to the last night of camp. The tradition or the custom was that the guys would ask a girl to the banquet. And I asked a girl to the banquet and her name was Candace. <laughs> And my dad was my camp counselor, and the day before the banquet, I brought Candace to meet my dad, and I was like, Dad, I want you to meet Candace. This is who, and I'm eight, by the way. This is who I asked to the banquet. And my dad said this to me. He goes, Aaron, good job. She's beautiful. Now, he's being a good dad, but my adversary, the devil, who's lo looking to still kill and destroy, will take anything and twist it. And that day, the way Sarah Beth made an inner vow, I made an inner vow. And the inner vow I made was, if I bring a pretty girl home to dad, he's proud of me. Only the enemy can twist stuff like that. And so the Lord began to show me since the time I was eight that it's why I had this weird baggage thing with women and I kept messing up because I would always bring a girl home to meet my dad because when my dad approved of her looks... I received affirmation and the Lord needed to deliver me of that so that I could know who I was in Christ so that he could, he could heal me. Are you following me? I would highly recommend letting God heal these places in your heart. I'm not saying that you have to do that all before you go on a date. Like we've been through our fair share of inner healing while we're in a relationship. I think that there's stuff that the Lord wants to bring out before you get in a relationship. And then it just like intensifies when you get engaged and get married. It's good. It's great. But I'm just saying, don't shy away from that stuff right now. Really go there with the Lord. And I, when I was praying about tonight, I was like, God, what would you want me to say to them about dating? And I saw a picture of, um, a woman like running. And so I feel like the Lord said, when a woman is running after me, or a man, but just right now, for a woman to be running after me, to be running toward my eyes of fire. I saw his eyes of fire and a woman was running. And then it was like this guy started coming right next to her running, but she was looking at the eyes of fire, at Jesus. And he was looking at the eyes of Jesus. And then I saw him kind of run a little bit ahead because the man is a spiritual covering, right? It's not a weird twisted submission thing. It's a mutual submission thing, but he's the leader. So I saw him go a little further and the whole time they're not looking at each other, but they start to kind of like, er, 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 
It's like the Lord supernaturally bringing them together like he did for Aaron and I, but you're still looking at the eyes of fire. And so that would be my encouragement to you is let God deal with whatever he needs to deal with. And don't worry about what's, you know, what he's, what he's going to bring up when you're in a relationship. Like we don't know we have tomorrow. We only know we have today, right? We're not promised tomorrow. And so let him deal with it. Um, and then I was just going to say the other thing is we have complete opposite testimonies. So the other thing I wanted to encourage you with is don't discount someone because of their past. Because I was full of pride and religion. And if I would have known all that about Aaron, <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know what I would have said. But by God's grace, I didn't. And he blinded me. I'm being real, okay? Some of you are like, oh, that's so rude. You would do the same thing, okay? So, <laughs> but God like totally in a beautiful way, blinded us in love. We dated for five, six months. We were engaged for six months. We were dating and married within one year. But I'm just saying, don't discount someone because of their past. Because in the time where he was completely consecrating himself before the Lord, I, I was pursuing the Lord, but also guys. And I had never had a boyfriend. I don't know if I told you guys that, but we have complete opposite testimonies and God brought us together. So just don't underestimate what God can do. Here's some practicals. By the way, so you were talking about running hard after Jesus. This is how she said it to me last night. She said, uh, don't settle for someone who isn't running at your pace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't settle for someone who isn't running at your pace. Especially to you USM students, don't settle for someone who isn't running at your pace. All right. Let me give you some practicals. Here's some practicals for dating. Uh, number one, be authentic and clear. Be authentic and clear. What do I mean? Ask a question. You know how many guys are like, I asked her out, and I'm like, well, what did you ask her? Well, well I didn't actually ask a question. Like, would you want to hang out sometime? I'm like, yeah, that's ask not great. A question. Not great. Actually, ask a question. Be clear. We would not be married if I did not ask yeah. a question. Are you following me? Ask a question. Um, stay clear of long prophetic history that you think you're in with God. Come on, you know how we do that. We're like, oh, well, she looked at me and that morning the Lord had spoke to me about, and all of a sudden you have this narrative in your mind, you have this history, this thing where you're like, God has said, and I'm gonna marry this person. It's you've a never fantasy. even told them how you feel. It's a fantasy. Yeah. But so stay clear specifically for, for, for women when you talk to other women about what's going on and maybe a crush you have, but really for, for men, when you ask a girl out, when you ask a woman out, stay clear of emotion and crazy spiritualisms. Stay clear, stay clear of that. What does that look like? That looks like, Hey, I want to tell you something. And then you just spill for 15 minutes, the emotion that you have and the God has said, and all your spiritual history with God and the girl's like, red flag. How do I get out of this conversation? Oh, I saw a friend there. You know what I'm saying? It just gets really weird. So another way to say that is keep it lighthearted. Yeah. Keep it lighthearted. And I want to give you some phrases. Here's some phrases that if you don't know how to ask someone out, here's some phrases. I'm going to give phrases both for men and phrases both for women. So here's the first one. <clears throat> I like you. That's literally what you said to me. That's what I said to Sarah Beth. Like, I like you. you guys might think, I don't know, because of where we're standing, uh, that it was like super spiritual and prophetic. I mean, not really. Like, we got to know each other at a staff retreat. I was there being a nanny. He was there as the youth pastor. And then a few days later, he asked me to go to Chick-fil-A. And he and told me he liked me. this is what I actually said me. to Sarah Beth. I said, I like you. I'm interested in getting to know you more than just a friend. Can I pursue, can I pursue that with you? 
And I was like, <laughs> I asked it her leaves a you shook, girls. You're like, wait, he's confident. <laughs> can, I, can I pursue that? Can I pursue getting to know you better? I'm interested in you. I like you. It gives the woman an opportunity to say yes or to say no. Ask them something. Here's another phrase. If you don't like, I like you. Here's another one. I'm attracted to you and I would love to take you on a date. Can I take you to dinner? Again, yes or no. Ask them something. And if you're a woman, here, I'm going to give you two phrases. Ready? I am honored you'd ask. Yes, you can take me to dinner. Or I am honored you'd ask. But no, thank you. I'm not interested. Come on, that's a big one. Because I know, I know, I know. I have girls who come sit on our couch and talk to us. I have a sister. I've been around women my whole life. I know the game that women can play to where it's like, well, maybe I just won't answer or maybe I'll say I'll pray about it or maybe I'll say these weird things. Again, you gotta go back to number one. You gotta know your worth. And when you know your worth and when you know the guy that's asking you is a son of Christ, come on, and they are, they have worth too, you can say no. You can say no. You know how, how much honor you actually release to the man when you say, thank you for asking me, but no, thank you. Or even acknowledging like, wow, thank you for asking me. I know that probably took a lot of courage, you know, either way, even if you say yes or no, but, um, yeah, guys be direct and girls be direct because I think when you're not direct, you can get in a weird codependent, friendship that's kind of more than friends because dating and relationship isn't just physical. It's also spiritual. So you can be in, that's what happened to me with the inner vow in high school. I was in a spiritual relationship with a guy in my heart for a year. And literally he is the reason why I chose to go to the college I went to. And thank God that he's, Like we can make decisions based on something we think we're deciding from. And the Lord's like, oh, no, 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 honey, no. Like three months from now, you're going to call him and have courage to break up with him. Like that's not why you want to go to DBU. I went to DBU and met my friends that went here. Yay, DBUers. Um, So God can like totally take your, the path that you think you're going on and the decision you think you're making. You're not going to miss it is my point. But be clear, because when you're not clear, you get yourself into a total swirl. And also, I was going to say, when um, you gave the phrase, I'm attracted to you, yes, or I'm attracted, or no, wait, what? (laughs) I'm attracted to you and would love to take you on a date. Can I take you to dinner? I would say for girls, if you're like, "I, I think I need to pray about that. Like, I don't know. It's probably a no. And that's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay if you're not attracted. I know there's times where God like, you know, opens people's eyes when they weren't attracted before. But if you're in a season where you're like, man, I want to pursue or man, I want to be pursued. You're probably already like, your, your blinders are probably already kind of off, right? And you're like, okay, I'm ready for this. And someone comes up to you and you know that you're not attracted to them or you know in your heart that, ooh, I just, maybe I should, like trust your gut. Trust the Holy Spirit in you, okay? And then be direct. It's yeah. really good. I want to say this too. A date does not mean you're getting married. (laughs) Can we remove the high stakes? A lot of time we put high stakes like, well, this guy wants to ask me out and I don't know if he's my husband. Weirdo. Stop. 
Are you following? A day is a day. Like a day can be lighthearted. A day can be fun. A day can be can be putt putt in a dinner, and that was awesome. I don't want to do putt putt in a dinner again. You see what I'm saying? Some of you won't know until you give it a try. And I want to tell you, you can have permission to give it a try. A date is not a wedding. I was so like locked up, and if I date him, I have to marry him. That um, I was on a trip when I was a nanny like six years ago, I was in Denver and a guy came up and asked me out and the people that I work for, they're like, you should go. I'm like, what do you mean I should go? I don't know if I want to marry him. And they're like, you need to like, you need to shake that thing off. Like that was, it was Michael and Larissa. They're like that, like you need to go. And so I went on a date, found out he was like 13 years older than me. (laughs) So that didn't work out. But about a month later, I got home from that date and Miller was like, you know what? I don't know if that's going to work out. I'm like, why did you just make me go on a date with him? Like, what is this? But it shook off the religion of like, oh, I have to marry him. And then he was like, no, I don't think you should, you should date that guy, Aaron Smith. And I'm like, Aaron Smith, like Alyssa's brother. Cause I was close with Alyssa. So you just never know what God's going to do. You might need to go on one date to like get to your next season and shake off some weird things. And you can bless that person, even if you don't like them and be like, thank you for that opportunity. And then move on. So, all right. So if you're single, raise both your hands. Just put them back up for a minute. All right. Come on. Keep them high. Keep them high. Now I want to declare over you. Have courage. There's a fight in you. Have courage. Have courage to ask the girl out. And if you're a girl, have courage to say yes or have courage to say no. All right. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the next one. All right. The next one. We wanted to declare over you. Have courage in the prophetic and have courage in sharing the gospel. Yeah, something um, that I wanted to say by this about this is that it's always, always going to be a risk. Yes. Always. <laughs> I remember I was desiring to um, hear the voice of the Lord more, and he showed me a picture of a tissue box. And he was like, when you go to get a tissue, what happens when you pull the tissue out if it's not empty? What happens? Another one comes up. And so I remember being like, Lord, what do you have for this person? And I have like, I don't know, let's just say a color. I, see, I hear blue. And I'm like, what am I just going to go up and say? Like, I see blue over you. And I did. And as soon as I said that, it was like, blah, 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 blah. the Holy Spirit filled my mouth. And it was a risk because I risked looking silly, which really is fear of man. And God will like shake that off of you. But it's always going to be a risk. And recently, Aaron and I found out that God had spoke the same thing to us. Sometimes we don't know that because we're like running around like wild people with children. Um, and then we like get up to a date and we're like, oh, God spoke the same thing to you. And the thing he spoke to us was every time you get in an Uber, I want you to talk about me. And when Aaron shared that on Sunday, I was over there like, oh my gosh, she told me that too. But I hadn't told him that yet. And um, so yeah, so it was, it's a risk. Do you want to share about your Uber ride? Yeah. Um, I, I want to say this about the prophetic because a lot of times we don't know. And, and I want to declare this to you because this liberated me when I first started learning to operate in the prophetic. The prophetic is always encouraging, uplifting, and exhorting. So I always filter prophetic words I have through these three things. I ask myself, is this encouraging? Is this uplifting? Is this exhorting? Because I, you, I, would, I cannot tell you how many times I've had to stop someone from giving me a prophetic word because they're like, I just hear the Lord saying, uh, I felt like the Lord said you're suicidal. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
okay, let me coach you a little bit in the prophetic. And then they're all of a sudden like, but it's this beautiful moment where someone learns for the first time, wow, I did not know that the prophetic is encouraging, uplifting, and exhorting. And so that, number one, will liberate you when you're sitting in an Uber and you want to sh- operate in the prophetic and you're sitting with someone. You can ask, here's a, here's a way to ask the Holy Spirit about the prophetic in a really simple way. Lord, how can I encourage them? How can I exhort them? How can I lift them up? And watch when all of a sudden you start encouraging them, lifting them up, exhorting them. It's like the, it's the tissue thing. All of a sudden you're getting names. All of a sudden you're getting all kinds of things. And, and it's always a risk. And I'll tell you this, that I, I, we have a similar thing to where the Lord had both asked us anytime we're in an Uber to share the gospel with whoever we're, we're sitting with. And it's always, I always, I'm not one of those people. There's some people who they're like evangelism and they just want to go evangelize. I am not one of those people. I'm one of those people that I'm in public. I want to be to myself when I'm in the gym. I have my headphones on. I don't want to talk to nobody. Don't want you to tell me how to do a workout better. I don't want you to ask me, do you even lift bro? Like leave me alone. But it's always in those spaces that I know that I feel like the Lord is like, you see that girl over there, go ask her about the name Emily. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to go ask her about the name Emily. I want to stay right here. I want to be in my workout. I want to stay in my comfortable Christianity world. But faith will get you out of that place. And so when I get out of that place and I go, it's always a risk. Is Kevin in the house? Cut my hair. All right. Tonight I got my hair cut and and the barber's name was Kevin and I had just met him and he told me he was going to come tonight. That's why I asked if he was here. Uh, but I was sitting in the chair and we start talking and there's just moment after moment that I can feel the on-ramp to tell him about Jesus. And every time I share the gospel with someone in public, for me personally, this has been my journey, my, my heart will start to beat fast. And I start to think I could say this here. I could say that there. I could encourage them this way there. And there's been times where I have listened to that voice and there has been times where I haven't. But every time I've listened to that voice, I don't have a single story of a time that it didn't walk away and, and it was, the person was somewhat encouraged or the voice of the Lord was somehow confirmed. I don't have a single story where I took a step of faith and it was like, wow, your voice, Lord, wasn't confirmed. Now, there's been times where they haven't received it and they hadn't wanted it, but they... But, but there's always been a time where they're like, yeah, Emily is my sister's name. Why did you get the name Emily? Well, I feel like the Lord wants to, is your sister Emily in the hospital? Oh, she actually just got out of the hospital. And you start getting this word for someone. Now I've had times where they're like, oh no, I don't want prayer. No, thank you. But the voice of the Lord was confirmed. Does that make sense? It's always a risk. Yeah. I'll tell a quick testimony before we move on to the next one. I was in an airport last week on my way to Nashville and there was this lady, I just went to a little store like by the gate to get a water and I'm like kind of in a rush. I was traveling with my sister-in-law and she had shepherd and so I was kind of like, okay, I had to hurry, right? And that's when God's like, eh, do you really have to hurry? Because <laughs> I'm trying, we just read this book called The Elimination, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, but it, it wrecked me to being rushed. So I'm sitting there with a bottle of water and the Lord is just speaking to me about this lady next to me. And I saw a picture of her in a truck and I just saw like a bunch of pain. Actually, I felt it in my body first. I felt like pain in my neck and shoulders. And I thought Shepard was with my sister-in-law, but he was in the carrier. So my thought was, oh, this is kind of hurting, but that's weird because it doesn't really, hasn't hurt before. Anyway, the Lord was like, no, it's for her. And so I was like, oh, she must be a truck driver with neck and shoulder pain. But I was like, oh, maybe she's not. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. So I go and I pay for my water. And now I've made it even more awkward because I could have talked to her while I was standing in line. But now I have to like stop the whole line to talk to her. So um, I pay for my water and I ask her like, hey, do you have, do you, do you, are you a truck driver? And do you have neck and shoulder pain? She just starts crying. 
and she encountered God. And so it was a risk because I risked her being like, no, because that's happened to me before. And even like a couple days ago, I was, I was asking somebody, does this make sense to you? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, cool. Just move on. Like, get over it. The fear of man is dumb and we see in part and we're God's children. Like Rosie, learning to walk and talk and shepherd. Like we're not, we're, we're babies to our father. And he's like, I'm going to give you a word from my mouth and here, deliver it. And then if you, if you mess up, it's okay. Like that's what, religion will hold you back from messing up. And that is dumb. So I asked her this time, she said yes. And I prayed for her and she encountered God, but it took a risk and it was inconvenient and I had to run to my gate. (laughs) So listen to his voice, even if you have to run to your airplane gate. Here's some practicals. Here's a phrase that I practice when it comes to the prophetic and it's practicing the prophetic. It's practicing the prophetic. Here are ways that I practice the prophetic. So we practice the prophetic with prophetic games. So what is a prophetic game? Um, we actually, Sir Beth prophesied our son doing a prophetic game. And so uh, if you are with your friend group and you and your friend group have talked and we want to grow in, in, in the prophetic, well, I'm going to give you a game that I promise you God will show up. And so however many there are of you, let's say there's a group of five of you and you're hanging out together. Um, well, get a piece of paper and rip it up into five little pieces and write on there one through five and put those one through fives in a cup. Now, each of you get a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and you write a prophetic word for someone that you don't know who it's going to go to. You following me? So you're going to have this piece of paper. There's four others of you and you're going to go, I don't know who's getting this word, but by faith, I'm going to write a prophetic word for whoever it's going to because the Lord knows who it's going to. Write that prophetic word. And then once you've all written the prophetic word, go back to the cup in the center and draw numbers. And whatever number you draw, so before you start, you'll, you'll write in your thing, one, two, three, four, you'll write on your piece of paper, one through five. Are you following me? So then you go back and you draw numbers, one through five, and whoever, whatever number you draw, that person gives their prophetic word to, to that other person. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that right? So we did this at our house, and Sarah Beth had a prophetic word. I think the, the number on her, the top of her paper was like six or something like that. And she felt like the Lord was telling her about, like, you're going to have a son, and he's going to travel the world with you, and it's going to go to all these places. So she writes this prophetic word, and at the top of her piece of paper, it, it says six. So we go, we draw our numbers. Well, she draws number six. <clears throat> and so she's looking at this, and she goes, I drew my own number about someone having a son. No, that's not right. She tells everybody, we need to put the numbers back in. We didn't draw right. We need to draw again. We draw the numbers again, and she draws the number six again. This was December 2022, so a month before I got pregnant with Shepard. We found out she was month with Shepard a month. She, a month later, what? we found out she was pregnant with Shepard. <laughs> got tongue-tied. But are you following me? We're practicing the prophetic. A number, another way to do it is Shabbats. We do a Shabbat once a week. We, we, um, we, sometimes we invite people over, but we'll have dinner, and we, the language we use is bless one another. So at dinner, we'll take turns, and we'll bless one another, or we'll prophesy over one another. So we did it this week, and, and we're teaching Ro, uh, Rosie to prophesy, and so she's sitting there, but we use it under the language of bless. She goes, Daddy, I want to bless you. I want to bless you to be healthy. Well, Rosie doesn't know that I've been going to the doctor over the last couple months, and I've had some stuff going on with my gut, and I've had some stuff going on with my body, and here my daughter's sitting there, and she's going, I'm going to bless you to be healthy. Well, we're practicing an environment where the prophetic 
prophetic is normally practiced. Does that make sense? It takes high stakes off of, did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? Well, I'm practicing. I'm practicing the prophetic. When I give a prophetic word for someone at Kroger or uh, I'm just in public and I feel like the Lord highlights someone, here's how I started out. I go up to them and I go, excuse me, my name is Aaron. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And I'm practicing hearing the voice of God. I say that phrase to them. I'm practicing hearing the voice of God. Can I tell you what, what I felt like he said to me? 99% of the time they say, yes, you can tell me. And if there's ever a time where it's like, no, you know, does this happen? Or does this happen? Or does this happen? No, that doesn't relate to me. Okay, well, I'm practicing hearing the voice of God. Can I pray for you anyways? Yes, of course. Are you following me? Adopt a lifestyle where you practice the prophetic. Mm-hmm. So courage in dating, courage in the prophetic and sharing the gospel. And then the last place we wanted to just touch on real quick that we want you to have courage in is with money. Money. (laughs) Money, money, money. To have courage with money. I want to tell you there's a fight in you. And oftentimes we can get derailed in faith because of money. We can get derailed in faith because you're following the Lord. Maybe you're building his house. You're regularly showing up, but then you seem like you don't have enough for what you need. And I want to tell you that God is a provider. And I want to declare over you to have courage with your money. Have courage to give financial gifts. Have courage to tithe. If you don't tithe, I don't want to rebuke you. I want to tell you to have courage to take the Lord at his word and to tithe and watch what he will do. Watch what he'll do. I'll never forget uh, hearing Miller for the first time talk about tithing, that he said this. He said, um, if you will tithe for three months and there's no shift in your life, if you don't tithe and you start tithing, if you'll do it for three months and you do not see the fruit of God's hand in your life, come to me and we will reimburse you your three months of tithing. He was like putting his money where his mouth is, but he said, all the years I've ever said that I've never had one person come, uh, come up to me and say, well, I tithe for three months and I just don't see God's provision. I, don't, I just don't see God's hand. Why? Because there's actually a promise attached to scripture. It's the one area in scripture where God says, test me. You know, the it's Bible, in Malachi, right? Or, it's in Malachi, yeah. yeah. And the storehouses will overflow. We need to get that scripture. Yeah, he says, test me in this. Test me in this and see that your vats won't overflow, that you, the storehouse of heaven's goodness won't overflow in your life. Test me. How do you test God? That means you put your money where your mouth is. That's what it means. You've never tithed. So get your 10% of the first fruits of your check and put it in. You can do it online. You can do it at one of the boxes, but put it down and write in your journal on this date. I gave this much. It was 10% of my fruit. And, and Lord, I want to see how you're going to bless my life. Now we're not prosperity gospel preachers. If you know us, you know that, but there is a truth to submitting your finances to God and watching God multiply what you cannot multiply in your own strength. Have courage, have courage. I want to declare over you to have courage, blessing people. When you go out on a Friday night and you're like, man, I have to choose between getting the supersized meal or the little meal, like get the little meal and then bless someone else. I don't have enough to buy you a whole meal, but I'll buy you some fries. You see what I'm saying? Like (laughs) do what you can to practice being a giver. It's better to give than to receive the Bible says, but oftentimes we just need a little bit of courage to take a step of faith with our finances. And for far too long, have I seen God's people tripped up over finances because there's an intimidation, there's fear. And if you would have courage and know there's a fight in you, God might actually be able to raise someone up who is trusted with heaven's resources. But it takes a little bit of courage. I just want to read that verse really quick. It's Malachi 3 verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Not 1%, 5%, 9.9%. 
10% of your income. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the Lord speaking. That wrecks me to think that you're giving him something that will bring about food in his house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you (laughs) and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So that's about, that's about all we have to say about that. Mic drop. So can we get someone on the keys? Can you put up that first Timothy six one more time? First Timothy six, I believe it was verse 11. But you, man, you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Next verse. And fight the good fight of faith. We want to declare over you tonight that there's a fight in you. I don't know what you're walking through. I would be willing to bet money that you would fall into one of those three categories of dating, of sharing the gospel or taking a step of faith in the prophetic, or it's a financial battle, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not one of the three we mentioned, but whatever you're walking through, we want to declare over you to fight the good fight of faith. There's a fight in you. There's a fight in you. And some of you have not known that there's a fight in you. Some of you have passively been fighting and it's why your enemy, your adversary, the devil has been roaming around you, trying to devour you. But the Lord came to give life and life abundantly. Life and life abundantly. And I said in the beginning, and I wanna say it again, that I would propose that there's not a circumstantial walkthrough, that there's not life in it for you if you, if you would just submit it under faith. If you would just submit that circumstance to the Lord and approach it by faith, I guarantee you there's life for you in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of your greatest fear. I'll never forget Michael Malden used to say this to me. He would say, Aaron, uh, your greatest breakthrough is on the other side of your fear. If you'll just make it through your fear, if you'll just face fear, if you'll just have courage, if you'll be like Joshua, be strong and courageous. If you'll be like David, you know, anyone you look up to in the Bible, it took courage for them to do what they did. Any one of them. If you want to find your name in the narrative of faith, when you read Hebrews 11, it takes courage. Without courage, you have no faith. Without courage, you can't stand in this hour, this dark, twisted 2023. It takes faith. And it takes courage to have faith. And I want to declare over you, there's a fight in you. I feel it so strongly. There's a fight in you. I grew up in the high school I went to was in Borger, Texas, and we were the Borger Bulldogs. That was our, Fred was a Borger Bulldog. And my dad used to tell me before I would compete in any sport, he would, he would say, Aaron, remember, there's a dog in you. That's what he'd say. He'd say, there's a dog in you. And if you know me, if, you close, if you're close to me, I'm always barking at my friends like to hype them up. I'm like, whoa, 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 And it becomes an inside joke and it's silly and it's dumb. Well, why? Because my upbringing, my dad would always tell me, there's a dog in you. There's a dog in you. And come on, I know tonight has been maybe a little awkward or you've been like, what are we doing tonight? But I want you to know there's a dog in you. There's a fight in you. And, and if you were at the Tuesday noon set, at the end of the Tuesday set, we were singing about David approaching Goliath. Well, David stood before Goliath because he had a dog in him. He had a fight in him. You don't stand before Goliath with passivity. You, you, if you're afraid to ask a girl out, passivity is going to get you nowhere. But there's a dog in you. And I want you to know that there's a fight in you. There's a fight in you to fight the good fight of faith. And if we could leave you with any word tonight, 
It's to fight the good fight of faith, knowing that Jesus is for you. He's got your back. He's going to lead you. I feel like for some tonight, there's a guy in the room. I have felt this all night, but there's a guy. It's why I've harp, like harped on dating. Felt like there's a guy in the room and there's a girl you want to ask out and you've been too afraid. And tonight, I feel like the Lord wants to give you faith to take a step of faith and ask her out. Does that mean she's your wife? I don't know. Does that mean you're going to get married? I don't know. But go on a lighthearted date. Ask her. Ask her. Have courage. Have courage. So can we stand across the room? Um, I wanted to say, in, in that verse where Paul's talking to Timothy about fighting the good fight, he actually says, fight with the prophetic words that were made about you. Remember the words that were spoken about you so that you may fight the good fight.